Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you this morning. Good morning, Dr. Paul. How are you this morning? I know you stayed up and you never missed a word. You listened to everybody and all the post-debate discussions. Mm. Well, we'll let you tell the, the audience just how many hours you spent watching. I watched uh, as much as I could. <laughs> it was a good bit. But I'd also take a rest. I you know, I, I, I'd listen to it. I'd say, no, no, no. I'd, I'd have to leave and go see something positive. Like go to the computer and uh, see what's happening there. But uh, I've decided, though, there is definitely a winner. Definitely a winner. Oh, yeah. And his name is Donald Trump. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it is, it is pretty amazing. I wonder if it's ever... Anything like this has ever happened in a presidential race where somebody, Bizarre. you know, just uh, just sat back and, you, you know, got more popular. And the, and the more they throw at them, more dirt they throw at them, more accusations, more threat of prison, they, they, they have, the more popular he gets. Yeah. So he, he, he actually won there because uh, they were all over the place. And, and uh, he's all over the place at times, but... Uh, He's uh, domineering, and the people want somebody to take charge and take care of these problems. So he does come across favorable to uh, some. I've never that that attitude has a plus to it, but it's never uh, divorced from uh, the authoritarianism that I don't like in governments. Yeah. But but uh, today it seems like the the people like that. But uh, listening to debates, I listened diligently, and uh, I, I came away with uh, saying not a whole lot is going to change. I wasn't saying, well, there were four, five of them in there, and I say, well, this one was, you know, if we had to take one, this is the one I would take. That would be a hard for me. There's maybe one or two I might put at the bottom of the list. That was That's easier to do than yeah. to put somebody at the top of the list. But that's why the situation... The situation with a bankrupt com uh, country, uh, financially and morally, uh, there's there's not much to offer because they all endorse a basic principle that I, in a way, detest. And the principle that pervades all philosophic positions who want significant government, that's interventionism. Yeah. The government's role, the government, the people to give this authority to the government, the government's role is to do these things, make us safe and secure. And uh, I would say that I, I think most Americans sort of like the idea of... Uh, of the empire, they might want to tinker with it a little bit, but but they like that. They feel proud about that. And yeah, there's lots of things I feel proud about America. And I'm glad I'm here. Yeah. But but it's not because uh, we, we attempt uh, to run the world because that's where I see most most of our problem. So I was looking for answers. I didn't get any real answers. But uh, I'm just wondering what you've been thinking about from the results of this little debate. I mean, it, it is a charade, isn't it? I mean, this is this is. I mean, we're it's, it's almost like we're a non-serious uh, country. We're pretending that these people were significant that were up there. None of them have a chance whatsoever of beating Trump uh, at all. And it's sort of a whole pretend thing. And they all come out and they look the same. They help. They, they say the same things, and meanwhile, you have Trump holding this massive rally, lots of cheering, it's a full audience here, and there's just no energy in the room with the GOP. And that's your earlier point, by the way, I do owe Elon Musk a thank you, because without his Twitter slash X, I wouldn't have been able to do anything because I did not watch it. 
but I did watch some good clips. <laughs> but it's a complete uh, charade. It's so superficial, everything they said. I mean, here's an example. Frank Luntz, who uh, didn't like you very much, if you remember back when you were <laughs> right. right. He put out a tweet saying something like, wow, uh, you know, uh, Nikki Haley sure is showing her foreign policy expertise. And it's a clip of her just saying, bomb everyone, bomb everyone. Bomb. <laughs> I mean, that's what passes for expertise. It's just, it's just incredible. I mean, and I don't know who, who did this. I was looking in the morning and I should have put it on a bookmark. <clears throat> but someone pointed out that really this is the return uh, of the GOP to its 2002 roots, where the, everyone was a neocon, everyone was for the Iraq war, everyone was for all of this stuff. I mean, we haven't learned anything from it, I think. But I, I, pull, I did pull a couple of clips that I thought were somewhat indicative of what we saw. And let's go ahead and grab for that first clip. This is sort of a, um, a montage of two or three of the candidates talking about their foreign policy and what they would do. It's a short clip, but it's worth listening. This is basically the whole thing in a nutshell. As President of the United States, what would you be urging Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to do at this moment? Governor DeSantis. I would be telling Bibi, finish the job once and for all with these butchers, Hamas. The first thing I said to him when it happened was I said, finish them, finish them. I would tell him to smoke those terrorists on his southern border, and then I'll tell him as president of the United States, I'll be smoking the terrorists on our southern border. If you want to stop the 40-plus attacks on military personnel in the Middle East, you have to strike in Iran. As president of the... <laughs> Okay, so you got to finish them. You got to kill everyone in Gaza. Then you got to kill all the people on our border. And then you got to kill Iran. That's basically the GOP foreign policy well, in a nutshell. If, if I had that chance, which is, wouldn't occur, I would advise them that uh, get prepared, find out who your friends are, and maybe they're your neighbors that can do this and, and seek them because uh, we are shrinking our empire and our enthusiasm for world domination, so thing, things would change. And uh, I, I think of the time he came, uh, Netanyahu came, and he was given the privilege, he was practically an American, he yeah. got to speak in the, in the Senate, uh, on the House floor. Yeah. You know, when these guys come, the, their, their qualifications aren't all that hot, yeah. you know, and, they get more time on the floor than I can get. That's right, exactly. <laughs> I, I never was able to go down there. Gentleman's time is expired. But I remember one thing that he said at the speech, and that was, we don't need American troops. We will fight our own battle, but, you know, they have, have these, uh, these other things. And uh, I would remind him of that, and uh, I was uh, applauded you when you said you don't need American troops. And yeah. I would say he still isn't saying send troops, send troops. But you're sending money, send money. You know, make sure that we're really bankrupt. Make sure our kids get, you know, into, uh, suffer from inflation and all these things. So uh, it is still meddling. It comes across, but so you can't really sterilize yourself from the pain and suffering that is caused when you depend on somebody else. But uh, I often thought that the whole area over there, uh, if there was less foreign powers being involved, the better. And yet uh, it's been no, not only groups of countries, but it's been globalism. You know, the things that they worked on ever since World War I, you know, divide up Europe. And, and then after World War II, they did the same thing. And they're still doing it. And, and we're, we're the ringleaders. We're, we're in there. And uh, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't solve the problem. It spends a lot of money. Oh, we'll do it 
for humanitarian reasons. Yeah. We're not going to shoot anybody. Oh, but we'll use a drone to do the shooting. You yeah. know that sort of thing. So uh, I guess uh, uh, you, you know Netanyahu uh, is facing some challenges too, and we'll home, have to yeah. see what happens because things aren't going well for anybody. And I think this is part of the whole thing. The big picture is uh, we're bankrupt. That makes the world suffer in bankruptcy, and that is the challenge to a reserve currency and also the disintegration of the American empire. And uh, everybody who depends on us now are getting a little bit nervous and they're thinking, well, where are we going to find another empire to identify with? And uh, it, it won't be solved easily. You know, the, the, so the person that posted that little clip, that little montage, if you can go to the next, if you can go to that next, uh, not uh, audio clip, but the next picture, um, this is what he said as a comment under that quote. And this is, uh, I'm really important. I don't know who it is. Uh, but he says, Gaza wouldn't exist right now if the GOP were in control. People should be thankful we have President Biden in charge. And it's not long ago I would have laughed at that. But looking at what they've said, I realize it's actually true. And Kim Iverson, who I think is very independent-minded, um, you can't pin where she is politically, um, which is good. That means she's actually thinking. And she had a very good comment on this on this clip we just watched. She said, Republicans absolutely would be worse in this moment with this particular conflict. And she means Gaza. And they're worse with China too. Since the Russia-Ukraine war is now at a stalemate and there's no real risk of escalation, I can now say the GOP is hands down, once again, the most dangerous warmongering of the two parties. And that is a little hard to accept but I think she's absolutely right. Yeah, she is. And you can pick and choose on, on the day of the week because some are going to be worse than others. But still back to the total philosophy, you know, the interventionism and the annoyance. Because there was a time that when I was uh, very pleased to try to work uh, with uh, progressive Democrats who took the position of, of less warmongering. And, uh, and yet I think she's right right now because there's more aggressive desire, you know, for uh, for, for the warmongering type of stuff. And, uh, uh, and actually, the speeches that Trump gives, I, th I think he works very hard to try to separate himself, but uh, he, he has uh, a little bit of uh, problems to defend someday if anybody's going to pin him down. Yeah, he's definitely, he tries to pretend he's a peacenik in some ways, but he's not. Yeah. But it's a little bit hard to admit, but it feels right at the moment our wing of the Republican Party, maybe you can call it the Ron Paul Buchanan wing of the party, is not in the ascendance right now. I think that's pretty obvious from the people that are out there. And it's very tough to admit that. And the Democratic Party, especially now that the Gaza-Israel thing is blown up, it's now actually having to reassess. There's a lot of pressure, and we'll talk about it later, on Biden to alter his policies. He's is instinctively, he's a neocon. He's always been a neocon. But there's so much pressure in his party now, he's having to moderate that. So it's an interesting phenomenon. Now, the other uh, clip that I pulled out, Dr. Paul, was where now Ramaswamy people say he was a star of the show. We have mixed feelings about him. There are some things we like about him. There are some other things we don't. I was talking to our uh, our, our studio people earlier, earlier, and I said he's kind of the inverse Ron Paul. <laughs> he says everything to every audience that he thinks they want to hear, rather than like you have always done, which is have one message and tell it to everyone. But but nevertheless, he, he was he was very strong. He came out very strong. 
<laughs> at the debate. Well, you, you know why I do it my way. It's easier. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I don't have to have a hundred you know, speeches. We, oh, what group is this now? Yeah. <laughs> what group is this now? Yeah. You, you know, they, that that makes it very difficult. And you have to be pretty shrewd yeah. to become successful. Otherwise, you'll make enemies. But if you can unify people with a positive message, that sort of excites me. <laughs> I remember people asking, well, well, who's Ron Paul's speechwriter? He said, what are you talking about? He's his own speechwriter. He doesn't need a team of people. Okay, we're going to go meet with the 4-H well, club. You know? There was something that came up when I was uh, shifted in my congressional district from a rural district to an urban district where there was more uh, you, you know, commercial Commercialism. They say, and the press report says, now that they switched you, how are you going to adapt your position from her taking care of the, your rural farm issues, and now you're going to have this urban issue? And I, it was an insulting yeah, question today. Yeah, really, I said, no well, I, I thought all people liked liberty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they learned to like it. But let's let's cue up that second clip because this is Ramaswamy really taking down Nikki Haley in a brutal way about her war profiteering. I think it's a really good clip. The fact of the matter is the Republican don't have Party is not that much better. You have the likes of Nikki Haley who stepped down from her time. The fact of the matter is the Republican no Party is not that much better. You have the likes of Nikki Haley who stepped down from her time at the UN. Bankrupt you, or in debt is, was her family. Can you restart it and make sure the sound is on? There is sound. Okay. Mine is on. Okay, mine's broken. Sorry. Becomes a military contractor. She joins the board of Boeing and otherwise, and is now a multimillionaire. So I think that that's wrong when Republicans do it or Democrats do it. That's the choice we face. Do you want a leader from a different generation who's going to put this country first, or do you want Dick Cheney in three-inch heels? All right, Mr. In which case, we've got two of them on stage Mr. Ramaswamy, thank you. Senator... Yeah, that's that's so bad. That, that really is hitting a, yeah. an important issue. And I remember when uh, uh, Dick Cheney was leaving government for a while after having been in. He he amazingly got to be the uh, be the president of Halliburton. Yeah, imagine that. <laughs> Halliburton just happened to have a little bit of uh, interest in uh, in the uh, foreign policy and the warmongering and what all. So it's a uh, yeah. Yeah, it is. And I apologize for that. It might, I had a short in my earpiece, so I, <laughs> I thought maybe I was going deaf. <laughs> but um, it, was a great, it was a great piece, and it was a great way to take her down. And the one thing that struck me that was interesting, and, and, and we have to admire about Ramaswamy, is that he, and I hope more people believe this, he actually believed that would be a, an, a, an appropriate criticism. In, in other words, that this could be a political liability the fact that she was in the military-industrial complex, you know. Yeah. And that's probably a good showing. We have a couple of quotes from our friend Glenn Greenwald about it, and I think he makes a couple of good points. This first one, he said, Vivek was absolutely right to compare Nikki Haley to Dick Cheney. They're identical, not only fanatical warmongers, but those who profit, profiteer off the wars they cheerlead. That's what you said. <laughs> Haley's candidacy is an attempt to ensure that the neocon ideology prevails no matter which party wins next year. And then he has another one on this as well. He says, as we've reported, the way that Nikki Haley rapidly compiled her vast personal wealth after spending her whole life in debt was by running to the permanent neocon war machine in DC and actually sitting on Boeing's board, vowing to serve its interests. So it's good that they pointed it out, but it's good that they view it as a liability. 
But, you know, she's an example of a successful, shrewd politician. Yeah. She, she got the money, and now she's in a position where she is well-known, and she's thinking that she's going to go all the way, which we don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> Good luck. But uh, it's a, it is rather uh, uh, amazing how successful you are if you, if you play that game. But w- how, how do they... How does they, not that I'm getting making plans, but how do they get to the uh, these companies and and say, you know, I'm getting ready to leave this puny little job as a congressman. I'll, I'll go to the UN, and it all seems to fit out. I used to understand how if they came out of uh, you, you know some of the big universities, they had clubs and things, and they moved people up. But I don't think she was coming it from the northeastern establishment. Yeah, so. yeah. But uh, she, they they get there all all kinds of ways and. Uh, so I, I think uh, Ramaswamy offers a lot because he's making people think about yeah. it. And although we might approach things a little bit differently, yeah, yes, but I, I still think it's great. Otherwise, it's it's so cliche. It's just over yeah. and over this yeah. stuff. And, and uh, that's why that's why if you want to hear something, you know, uh, go go listen to Trump. And I, I never looked at the numbers, but there were some people, if they were supporters, maybe they were fibbing a little bit. And they said, well, you had more people at your Rom conference, yeah. your campaign, than they had on the other one. So, but I think people want to hear straight, talk, you know, straight talk, you yeah. know, and and uh, and then sort it out. Uh, matter of fact, I, that should be the fun part of it, having a decent debate. But this stuff, you know, and uh, I, I hate this uh, yelling, yeah. and I hate this name calling. Uh, but the whole thing is, is once they deteriorate, it's awful, awfully tempting. Uh, and very human to say, you're a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you ask about the, you know, joining the military industrial complex, or whatever. You know, I remember the, the, the head of the, uh, the, the, the staff side of the House International Relations Committee, and he went on to become a very, very prominent lobbyist <laughs> after, after he left. And so if I had only been able to persuade you to vote a little different on a couple of things, you know, then I could have been driving that Mercedes. Sorry, I destroyed your career. You destroyed my <laughs> career. But that's what it is, though, so, you know. People that have more compliant bosses, hey, can you get your boss to vote this way? Da-da-da-da-da. And then when you're ready to leave the House staff, then, then you just call the guy up. Hey, I delivered some votes for you. Okay, here. You're now a partner in whatever, whatever, whatever. So and on they go. That's how it works. Well, I had one more clip, and I if it, it, hopefully my sound will work. It's a little bit funky here, but it's it's. I, I hate to say it, it's the Ramaswamy day, but in a way it is because I think this is a longer clip than we usually play. It's a mi- over a minute and a half, but he starts out by ripping apart the GOP, which oh. that was amazing. And then the second part, he talks about the phony Russia gate stuff. I think this is Ramaswamy at his best, and I just I like this. Let's go ahead and, and put that up and have a listen to this one. This is killer stuff. Swami, let me turn to you. Uh, please make your case. Why would you, uh, why should you be the nominee and not the former president? I think there's something deeper going on in the Republican Party here. And I am upset about what happened last night. We've become a party of losers at the end of the day. We a cancer in the Republican establishment. Let's speak the truth. I mean, since Ronna McDaniel took over as chairwoman of the RNC in 2017, we have lost 2018, 2020. 2022, no red wave that never came. We got trounced last night in 2023. And I think that we have to have accountability in our party. For that matter, Ron, if you want to come on stage tonight, you want to look the GOP voters in the eye and tell them you resign, I will turn over my, yield my time to you. And frankly, look, the people there cheering for losing in the Republican Party. 
Think about who's moderating this debate. This should be Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, and Elon Musk. We'd have 10 times the viewership asking questions that GOP primary voters actually care about and bringing more people into our party. Do you think the Democrats, and we've got Christian Welker here, do you think the Democrats would actually hire Greg Gutfeld to host a Democratic debate? They wouldn't do it. And so the fact of the matter is, I mean, Christian, I'm going to use this time because this is actually about you in the media and the corrupt media establishment. Ask you the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that you pushed on this network for years. Was that real or was that Hillary Clinton made up disinformation? Answer the question. Go. Mr. Ross. This is how we get our country back. We need accountability because this media rigged the 2016 election. They rigged the 2020 election with the Hunter Biden laptop story. Mr. Ramaswamy, and they're going to rig this election. Your time is up. Accountability. Let me turn to Governor, Governor. I bet there's some good stuff in there if you were doing a political ad. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for sure. For and, sure. Uh, and yet, the li- and this was not, uh, you, you know, the far right only yeah. in that crowd. There were a lot of, uh, you know, average Republicans there. And that, that was the loudest applause, I think, in the yeah. whole evening because he was challenging and telling the truth of what he thought should be done. And uh, people say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you get, as soon as that's over, then the other people get up and it's all mush. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, there still must be a hunger for that out there, for this, you know. always hunger for truth. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I shouldn't be so so, so despairing about it. But that was a great takedown. Took down the party, the GOP, took down the establishment took down the media, and the look on that journalist's face when he called her out, you pushed this hoax for two years. What do you have to say for yourself? And she's, you know, <laughs> having a panic attack. That was great. I mean, that was really great. So anyway, we'll see what happens. I guess we'll move on from there. I'm, I'm probably not going to watch the next one if there is another <laughs> one, but thank God for X. Um, so a couple other things we wanted to cover today. This is almost a follow-up, Dr. Paul, from what we were talking about yesterday, that Politico article about the State Department uh, doing a back-channel letter uh, in the dissent channel talking about the Biden foreign policy on Gaza and Israel. Um, here's something new today. Put this next clip up if you can. This is from Al Jazeera. More than 1,000 USAID employees sign a letter backing the Israel an Israel-Gaza ceasefire. More than a thousand. You think about first of all, it tells you how many people they have working, but they signed their name to this letter. Um, they signed their name to a letter saying we want a ceasefire. I mean, this is an unprecedented revolt. I think within the president's own administration. My guess is, as I said yesterday, that most of these are civil servants; they're not political appointees. But they've probably been on the job long enough, and I'm sure a lot of them are dedicated um, diplomats who believe in looking for a diplomatic solution rather than just bombs. But this, I think, this is a serious revolt in Biden's own party. Yes, and uh, some are going to say, well, this was uh, anti-Semitic because yeah. they're weak on Israel. And uh, that uh, he was overly supporting, uh, they were overly supporting, you know, the Palestinians. But what what did they do to to, to do it? And they said, well, this is humanitarian aid. You know, that's always the excuse for that. And uh, that, of course, is better than dropping a nuclear weapon. But it's just terrible because it's all fake. But nobody has ever proven that humanitarian aid helped anybody other than the people who, you know, made some money off it. Yeah. You know, so it's a, it's a, it's a mess as far as I'm concerned. 
But it's an interesting letter in that they signed it with their names is important too. If we can put that next clip on. This is the letter, this is some of the things from the letter that they wrote. Um, uh, we believe that further catastrophic loss of human life can only be avoided if the United States government calls for immediate ceasefire in Gaza, the release of Israeli hostages, and the restoration of water, feud, uh, food, fuel, and electricity to the people of Gaza by the state of Israel. So you're right, it's not one-sided, and they can't portray it that way because they're talking about the release of the hostages, that they're not coming in on one side. But he says, in the longer term, we call on the U.S. government to join the international community and human rights organizations in holding all parties, including the state of Israel, to international law, which includes ending Israel's illegal occupation of Palestinian uh, territories. Uh, so I think what this is saying uh, is that uh, it underscores the fact that that uh, President Biden sent Blinken over there to ask Netanyahu if he'll do a ceasefire or just a temporary pause. Netanyahu says, not on your life. We're not going to do it. Biden himself calls Netanyahu and says, we're not going to do it. And it shows the weakness of the president. And here you have this huge uh, upswell in his own administration saying you've got to get you've got to get stronger you've got to take the lead on this you know some of this sounds like it could come from some anti-semitics and radical right-wingers or whatever but i i think the fact of it coming from this type of an agency which is which is probably pretty mainstream yeah. uh you know conventional wanting to do their job right yeah that's what i what i get out but uh, they also said uh, uh, at the end of the, the article, in addition to the bombing of the campaign in Gaza, the Israeli government has severely restricted, this is the stuff that sort of stirs emotion, restricted the food, water, and fuel over the past month. Defense Minister Gallant promised to impose a complete siege on the territory, saying his country is fighting against human animals. You know, um, you know the Palestinians, and I, I don't think you can dare analyze that about, well, the Palestinians started all this. It, it's, it's sort of like, uh, who, who, who started the Mideastern Wars? Yeah. Because this, the starting of this stuff was a long time ago. Uh, they were, I see it as a reaction from a group of people that have been really locked in a terrible situation. Uh, and I don't think they were naive about uh, how much risk there was in that. And, yeah. but, but, now, but now there's this determination uh, is deteriorating. Now Biden has rejected all calls for a ceasefire. But maybe, what are they going to talk about? Give him a couple hours a day or something? Yeah. But he's in a bind because, you know, he sent Blinken over, which was to no avail, absolutely to no avail. And so put on this net clip. So we actually sent a real diplomat over, uh, and that is William Burns. This is really interesting, Dr. Paul, because uh, go to the next one, actually. So William Burns is his CIA director, but he was an ambassador in Moscow. He is a career diplomat. And so CIA director to Doha, Qatar, amid efforts to contain Israel-Gaza conflict, free hostages, and facilitate aid. So he actually has had to basically uh, go around his secretary of state, who has no resume, who has no achievements in his life, who is not a diplomat, who has botched everything, and actually finally go to someone who knows what they're doing to get over there. And I'm not saying that uh, Burns is a terrific, wonderful guy, but he's someone that obviously Biden is concerned about the way things are going. He feels the international pressure 
to get something done to, to slow this down. The, the, you know, the tide is turning in a way. And so we sent Burns over there. That's pretty interesting. You know, we get frustrated by people who go along and are totally obedient to all kinds of regulations, such as lockdowns with the COVID. And yet there is the ending of some of this. Finally, people do wake up. You know, this is what we're noticing now that this, you know, as long as I've been in politics, I don't think I've ever seen a group, uh, you know, sorting things out because it was so blasphemous to say anything like what they're saying now. But it's now it's coming, you, you know, from mainstream and they demonstrate on the Congress and Washington, D.C. Uh, thousands have come thousands, out and say, yeah. well, this is, yeah, this is, yeah, there's a problem there, but uh, you're not helping things out. But are they this is why if we were serious and thought we that, that uh, the things should calm down we should just quit financing both sides is the way I see it and let let them work it out but right now they uh, you know Israel can do what they want but they still get their they get their money it's not like chicken feed it's yeah. a lot of money they do want to say that all the all of these demonstrators are just pro Hamas which is not true, as we know. I mean, those demonstrators in the Cannon House office building were Jews for peace. You know, they are they're, they're more left progressive Jews who were in favor of a, of a different approach to the Middle East. You can't write them off, and they're probably Biden voters. And that's, I think, why he's worried. You know, we, we had the Jewish factions come to my rallies, and they've yeah. come out for Rand as well. But I wonder, I wonder if, uh, if that helps to soften uh, you know, the charges that uh, everybody's anti-Semitic if yeah. they take certain position because I took votes that, you know, if I vote against foreign aid to, to Israel, does that mean I'm anti-Semitic? Yeah, yeah. Maybe, I'm, maybe I'm very much pro because I don't want you so dependent on us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, That's true. That's true. Well, I, I guess we'll move on. These are just a couple of things that caught our attention. Um, and the next one is a big thing, though, and I think this is going to be bigger. And you, you actually wrote to me this morning when I sent it over that this is bigger than people realize. And put that next one on. Um, U.S. conducts second round of retaliatory airstrikes in Syria as attacks on troops rises to 41. And there have been some larger missiles sent into these U.S. bases in Iraq and Syria. And if you go to the next one, they are starting to have some consequences, Dr. Paul. Pentagon Press Secretary Brigadier General Pat Ryder on Monday characterized the operations as repeated harassing attacks of drones and rockets. End quote. At least 46 personnel sustained injuries, including traumatic brain injuries and minor rooms and shrapnel headaches, perforated eardrums and other conditions, he said. So 46, they are admitting have had some, sounds to me like some pretty bad injuries. I wouldn't want to have a traumatic brain injury. It doesn't sound like a lot of fun. It's only going to be at some point in the future where they hit something at the right point where you are going to see a bundle of dead American soldiers. And I think, sadly enough, that's when America is going to wake up and say, what the heck are we doing with a thousand troops in this area? And I think if they're wise, I'm sure you agree, it's time to get out now before that happens. Yeah. And, you know, here was a quote for this article that you used there. It says the United States is fully, this is the administration, and the United States is fully prepared to take further necessary measures to protect our people and our facilities, you know, everywhere. 
and uh, we were urged against any escalate. <laughs> they do this. Yeah. <laughs> we have all these spots around the world. We're in 120 countries, and it's uh, what got me was the word our. You know, it's our oil, it's, it's our facilities, and we have a right to defend ourselves, you know, uh, and, uh, and, and we, they, they, they urge it. We urge against any, at the same time, they see that we urge against any escalation. Uh, U.S. personnel will continue to conduct counter-ISIS missions in Iraq and Syria. We're not going to drop the ball. Yeah. You know, we are going to be tough, and we're going to make sure that, uh, it, and they will never consider the fact what what is the motivation for ISIS and a few other? What is the motivation? You, you know, what if the same thing existed in our country that we had these bases all over the place, and then the, there's war breaking out all around, and then our bases, you know, get attacked? Uh, you see, sending a message: you guys are you're overstepping your bounds. Then uh, then then all of a sudden, unfortunately, right now, most American people, uh, you know, would say. Of course we got to protect our facilities. What do you mean? Are you going to let them do it? No, they wouldn't do it if we weren't in their face. Yeah. <laughs> you know? On their property, stealing yeah, the oil. And yeah, on the property and yeah. destroying their property. So. Well, I mean, I think at the end of the day, the game is over on these troops. There. Sooner or later, they're going to be gone. I think it should be sooner to save lives and to uh, <laughs> save the escalation possibility. But I'm going to close out. I think we've, we've done a lot today, and I'm just going <laughs> to... I'm going to say I hope some of our viewers have noticed that the Ron Paul Institute website is down. Uh, if you hadn't, that means you're not reading it, and that makes me very sad. Uh, we've had some problems. I just want to let you know because you see some old stories if it's up. Um, thankfully, we have a new website that is almost ready to open. So right when our old one is dying, thankfully, we have the new one, uh, which hopefully, fingers crossed, we've got a great team working on it. Um, hopefully, we'll have that new site up and running uh, definitely by the end of the week, but hopefully even by today. So thanks for going to the Ron Paul Institute website, ronpaulinstitute.org, because that's where you see a lot of articles related to what we talk about here on the show. And that's where you can get some more detail about the things we talk about. So please be patient. We'll have the new site up and running, hopefully within 24 hours. Over to you, Dr. Paul. Very good. And I want to, once again, uh, thank our viewers for tuning in and us going over the issues of the day. And uh, certainly we touched uh, on uh, the debates a little bit, but not uh, deeply because uh, in some ways it's all the same old stuff. But uh, there, there is information you know, that we can gain from that. Not that we have discovered somebody that is, has the magic cure and they are going to all of a sudden convert most of the people in this country to understanding and believing and practicing the principle of non-intervention. Because moving in that direction is the only way that we can reduce the number of wars that are going on and talk to people about, you know, now that uh, we're running out of money and the wars aren't going so well, is the time maybe we should change our policy. And we see signs of that because the American people finally said, why are we sending all this money to Ukraine? You know, and uh, and, and then, then coming along and, and uh, at the same time, uh, every, both sides seem to be making the point now, you do, we do have a few problems here at home. One of them is uh, protecting the homeland and protecting the property of American citizens and instead of moving them to the front of the line and uh, encourage people to get here any way you want and push everybody else aside, 
even the law-abiding people and the people who are going through the process and give the citizenship to somebody who just marched in and, and while they're waiting, put them up in a hotel room. It makes no sense whatsoever. And uh, I think, though, that the American people are waking up. I think uh, the, the big test will be is, uh, will this be reflected in an election next year? And uh, it, it, even though the uh, choices aren't always crystal clear, I think we still can get a message because American people, I think, are anxious to speak out about what's going on in this country financially and morally and the, and the way these silly things go on where the government gets together and they say, just look to us. We'll take care of you. We'll make you safe and secure and wealthy. Well, when you come around to believing that, then we're in trouble. You have to realize that wealth and prosperity comes from effort, not by arguing a case for forced redistribution. That leads to bankruptcy, and that's where we are. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.